Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? Hey, if you're here in person, I want to welcome you. If you're joining us online, I'd love to welcome you. If I have not met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer. I'm the lead pastor here, and you are joining us in a sermon series called Guard Rails. This is a guardrail. They're really hard. They're really heavy. The pulpit is made out of a guardrail, and we are taking this first part of 2021, the first five weeks, to talk about not physical guardrails per se, but metaphorical guardrails, guardrails that we put up in our life, personal, professional, financial, relational, sexual guardrails. What is a guardrail? Let's just kind of go over the definition in case you haven't been paying attention out there on the roads. Guardrails are designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. They direct us, they protect us, and they're found on bridges, medians, curves. If you think about it, a guardrail is placed in the safe zone. It's actually placed on a, on a part of real estate that you, in theory, could drive your vehicle on if the guardrail was not there. But nobody argues against the logic of a guardrail because we're okay to have a little bit of our freedom hampered if it means that we won't drive off a cliff. Now, if you hit a guardrail with your vehicle, you're going to chip some paint. You might have to go to the body shop, but you're not likely going to have to go to the hospital, and that's the beauty of a guardrail. Think about it for a minute. Internalize this. Your greatest regrets may have been avoided if you would have established some wise guardrail, something that when your behavior, your thinking, your attitude bumps against, it redirects you, it corrects you without you driving over a cliff. Now, this series comes from another church, uh, we like to write our own content here at Mercy Road Church, but about 10 years ago, I was serving on staff at a, a church called Faith Covenant, and another staff member said, you got to do this series called Guardrails. I took a listen, and it really was helpful to me. And so Tom and Chad, we write these sermons together, said, let's do Guardrails for 2021. We're going to put our own spin on this. Last week, by way of review, we were in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Be very careful, the apostle Paul writes, then how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days, they're evil. Paul is saying we live in a culture, and he certainly did in the ancient Near East in the first century, that is hostile to what God wants for our lives. And so we need to not drive around haphazardly. We need to drive defensively. Remember that when you were in driving school? They said, it's not about what you're doing, it's about what the other car's doing. You need to be aware of the other vehicles on the road. You need to drive defensively. This is a series about defensive living, wise living. You know, it's easy to fall into this trap where we just think, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. The book of Proverbs push back a little bit on that, and they say there's a lot of the human experience, a lot of God's universe that is not so much right or wrong, it's wise or unwise. Proverbs starts out and it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so Proverbs is really imparted wisdom to us to show us how to navigate the complexities of life. Wisdom, after all, is understanding that my past connects to my present moment. And what I do here on this Sunday morning in 2021 has an impact on who I will become in my future. Wisdom is understanding that God's universe is related and that we as free moral being agents have volition, have will, agency to go left or go right, to spend time with this person or that person, to say no to that or to say yes to that. 
Guardrails are personal rules, and we don't like guardrails because, as in general, Americans don't love the personal rules. But we all agree that on the road of life, we have to be careful. Guardrails are how we are careful. Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, had this to say, your biggest regret is often a person you met. In most cases, the person was considered a friend. Think about that for a minute. When you look back on your life and you have some regrets, we all do, isn't it true that nine times out of 10, you weren't alone when you made that bad decision? Oftentimes, it's a person in our life who at the time we really considered a friend. Maybe it's a business partner and it went south and there was division. Maybe it's an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. Sure, life does sometimes give us a shock and someone we don't know takes advantage of us. But by and large, the regrets that keep us up at night, friends, I think you'll, you'll know in your experience this is true. It happened not in isolation, but in a community of friends or in the context of a friendship. And so today I'd like us to think carefully about choosing friendships and colleagues and who we spend proximity with. The scripture we're going to be meditating on today comes from Proverbs chapter 13, 20. I would encourage you to memorize it. It's easy to memorize. Think of it this way. Wisdom a lot of psychologists say, is developed between age 13 and 20. So Proverbs 13, 20, let's read this together here. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. It's a very short scripture, but there's a lot in there. So we're going to uh, take it a little bit by a little bit. The first point, if you're taking notes, is just to to really think about the first half of that. Walk with the wise and become wise. Uh, My dad was a bit of a control freak growing up. He was an undercover cop. He uh, was a hostage negotiator. He had a way of kind of telling people to do things and they just kind of did them and then wondered later, what, what happened? You know, he was very persuasive. And, and I remember very vividly in fourth grade sitting in front of my teacher at a parent-teacher conference and my dad, Larry, said, he interrupted the teacher and he said, yep, who are the most hardworking, kind, godly, people, students in this class. Now, we were in a secular school, godly. You could see my professors like, what? And he, and he repeated himself. And, and the teacher kind of stuttered and said, well, well I, I suppose. And my dad said, you know, with except, exception of my son. Obviously, he'd be that too. But. <laughs> now, I was in a little bit of a rebellious stage at the time. And he said, no, who are the most hardworking, kind, godly kids in the class. And he goes, well, I suppose it's Jeff and Jason. He goes, excellent. I'd like you to put my mic in between Jeff and Jason. Change the seating order. And I remember just watching this crazy experience of a teacher conference. And it's like, my dad's bossing my teacher around. But guess what? The next day I sat between Jeff and Jason. They were wise kids. My dad, when I complained about sitting next to these nerdy, unpopular kids, He said, let me tell you a story, Mike. When my dad, who you never met, your grandpa Frank, was bringing me up, he would take me to the racetracks in St. Paul. I don't think they do that anymore, but they used to bet on dogs, dog racing. And he said, and we'd go to the racetracks, and he'd put money on these dogs as they'd chase. Do you know what they would chase, Mike? A mechanical arm had a fake rabbit on it, and it would go around the track, and the dogs could never get the rabbit. The operator made sure that the rabbit always moved a little faster than the fastest dog, but my, my dad would say, Lars, 
In life, you have to find rabbits. When life gets hard, you have to find rabbits. If you want to grow, you have to find rabbits. So this really took off in my early formation. My dad was intuitively understanding something that 3,000 years before he was born, Solomon, the third king of Israel and the wisest man reputed to ever live, would say definitively is the case. It's a principle that impacts your life, your past, your present, your future. Walk with the wise and become wise. Interestingly enough, uh, and I love when this happens, when science kind of catches up with scripture, there is a man named Morin Cerf. He's a neuroscientist at Northwestern University. He's been studying decision-making for over uh, a decade now. He discovered recently that when two people are in each other's company, their brain waves actually begin to look nearly identical. Careful who you sit next to at church, huh? He has this to say, the more we study engagement, we see time and time again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. If people want to maximize their happiness and minimize stress, and who doesn't want to do that, they should build a life that requires fewer decisions by surrounding themselves with people who embody the traits they prefer. If you want to be a kind person, you go sit next to a kind person and your brain waves will start to mimic theirs. If you want to be a wise person, walk with the wise and you will become wise. The neuroscientist goes on, he says, over time, they'll naturally pick up on those desirable attitudes and behaviors. That is profound. And, it, and it's not that odd. I mean, we all have smartphones and speakers that we can synchronize in our phone and you put in the little passcode, oh, you're paired, Right? Essentially, neuroscience and 3,000 years of wisdom literature in the scripture are agreeing, and they're saying human beings are not so different. They pair. They pair. Walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Secondly, let's look at this uh, quote here. Friendship, C.S. Lewis would write, is born at that moment, when one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. This is what's so difficult about applying this proverb. C.S. Lewis rightly notes that friendship, this mutual affection, this desire to walk with each other throughout life happens when your face lights up and his face lights up over the same thing. And so it kind of bonds you together and it gives you this sense of, uh, brotherly compassion for each other, or sisterly compassion. It, um, you know, a lot of marriages start this way. A lot of best friends start this way. My kids, for example, are nine and seven, my boys, and they are really into Star Wars right now. And I guarantee you, if you introduce another boy in their general age range, and they're like, what did you think about the second season of The Mandalorian? Do you like the ending? See that Luke Skywalker part? They will light up. You too? I thought I was the only one. And it'll create this bond, but here's the problem. If you were to survey every young adolescent boy who's into the Mandalorian and Star Trek, not all of them are wise. Some of them are predisposed to make some really foolish decisions. And what is a foolish decision? It's living as if the past has no connection or bearing on the present, and the present has no connection or bearing on the future. It's living without a fear or an awe or a reverence of the creator, of your heavenly father. It's living on your own terms, figuring it out as you go. Touching the stove, because you've got to be sure it's hot. 
And so, one of my great prayers for my boys and my daughter, Lord, would you rise up, would you raise up godly, wise friends for them? Because friends have a way of shaping the direction of your life. Now, at this point in the message, in 2021, in our cultural climate, the one that we're in right now, there have to be some of us who are saying, wow, Mercy Road Church, you're kind of getting a little judgmental. As if there's just wise people and foolish people. It's not that black and white. There's a little bit of fool in all of us. I would agree with that. But hear this. This is not a message from Proverbs to be judgmental. It's not about being judgmental. Don't be judgmental, in fact. Jesus says, judge in the same way that you want to be judged. We're not called to just put people in boxes and judge them and condemn people. It's not about being judgmental. It's about exercising good judgment, and there's a difference. Think about the difference. Another way to think of it is when it comes to establishing guardrails, things that your conscience bumps into and says, maybe I need to straighten out. Maybe I need to go in the direction of the road instead of the direction of off the cliff. When it comes to that and friendship, it's not about telling other people how to live or judging other people. It's having a sober estimation of in light of my past experiences, my present condition, and my future hopes and dreams, my temptations, my hurts, my habits, my hangups, how do I want to live? What would be wise? If a wise person was taking care of my life, what would he or she do? Who would he or she recommend I spend time with? Walk with the wise, become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. What's interesting about the second part of the, the proverb, a companion of fools suffers harm, if we can go back to that, is it's not how you would assume the proverb should end. In Hebrew, uh, Proverbs is written in Hebrew, it's called parallelism, there's a mouthful, and oftentimes it will say something like, walk with the wise, become wise, a companion of fools will become a fool. That's kind of the, the, the recipe, the secret sauce of how Hebrew is written in, in this poetic form, this uh, wisdom form, but it varies. It says, walk with the wise, and not a companion of fools will become foolish, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. It's a contrast. Some of your translations will say, walk with the wise, but be careful. A companion of fools is going to suffer harm. That's profound. Think about it for a minute. You may have the liberty to hang out with a group of people who, who entertain a lot of foolishness in their life, who live as if the past isn't connected to the present or the future, who don't live in fear and reverence of the Lord. You can do that, and you might not become like them. You might not become foolish yourself, but it's even worse than that. You will experience the suffering and harm of their life decisions because you're in the proximity of them. You're going to catch the shrapnel of the explosion of their poor choices. And some of you are externally or internally nodding and thinking, you know, my ex-husband lived in a foolish way and I didn't join him in that behavior, but boy, did I catch the shrapnel of his poor life decisions. Or my best friend, she lived so foolishly, but now my heart is broken, not because I followed her into that lifestyle, but because I'm left to clean up the mess that resulted in that lifestyle. 
Friends, this does not, this proverb does not negate the call of every follower of Jesus to show intense and incredible and radical compassion to those who are hurting. It's not about clicks. It's not about just judging a bunch of people and saying, I need to find the rabbits in the group. I need to find the wise people. And then all the other people, I just need to stiff arm emotionally and get away from. No, Jesus had a way and he has a way of seeing those who are most lonely and isolated and miserable in the crowd. Mother Teresa, who was just immersed in in human poverty through her whole ministry and life, she had a a famous quote that said, do you want to know what the most cruel form of poverty is? It's loneliness. Loneliness. And so this proverb is not a, a license to to reject or ignore those who God has put in your path to minister to, but it's a call to be wise and ask yourself, when I do life with people, is it actually moving me closer to a deeper knowledge of and obedience to the Lord who made me and sustains me and is redeeming me and who I will live with forever? Or is it moving me further away from that type of wisdom and that type of purpose? And if I'm not careful, is it possible that I'm being influenced more than the person I'm trying to help is being influenced and that over time I'm going to suffer harm and my loved ones will suffer harm? These are the questions that will help us establish the guardrails that will keep us on the road that the Lord has for us. So walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. It's not about judging people. It's about exercising good judgment with the the crowd we run with. And third, and finally, choose carefully, Mercy Road. Choose your friends carefully because they will determine the quality and direction of your life. It's just a summary of really what the proverb is getting at. Your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life. And you know this is true experientially, don't you? And I do too. God placed friends in my life that I could have said no to. I could have walked away from. Because maybe for whatever reason, there were other friends who were tempting to hang out with that were rebelling against God. But I'm going to be very transparent with you. I would not be standing here preaching to you now if I had not walked with the wise. There are people in my life that if I had not done life with them and learned from them and walked with them, I wouldn't be here doing this, saying this, and you wouldn't be thinking about these things. Or if you were thinking about them, they'd come from another messenger. A friend of mine, Ryan, I remember I was kind of debating in high school, that popular crowd, not popular crowd, and you know, he wasn't quite the popular crowd. He just loved Jesus. He loved to talk about Jesus. And I remember thinking I could hang out literally with another Ryan who liked to smoke pot and drink and do everything you're not supposed to do. Or I could hang out with this Ryan. One Ryan was kind of a rebel. The other, he just wanted to bring me to church. And I remember choosing the church Ryan. And I remember hanging out with him one night on a Friday night. I think I was a junior in high school. And I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, well... What if we did a prayer walk? And I was like, what's that? Well, we would just walk around my neighborhood and we would just pray that, that the Lord would just do a work in the neighborhood. And 
in us and in our future. And I remember physically stepping back and thinking, we could do that. But there I was a few hours later praying with Ryan as a junior in high school, walking around Lakeville, Minnesota, praying that God would do things. Interestingly enough, I walked past a girl's house named Erica Carey. Ryan knew Erica. He said, let's stop and pray for her. Okay. We're praying for this Erica, who I always thought was a little bit of a goody two-shoes and kind of a little judgy. You know, when you're not following the Lord and walking with the wise and doing the wise things, sometimes the natural tendency is to get judgmental of those who are. Lord, just bless Erica and whatever we're supposed to be praying for her about. Amen. We walk a few steps. The sirens come up. The police department found us out. These crazy juniors in high school walking around. What are you guys doing? And I'm like, oh, this is going to go great. And I didn't have my license on me. I don't have any ID. And so now the guy goes, have you been drinking? No, officer, we haven't. Well, what are you doing? And Ryan goes, well, we're on a prayer walk, actually, officer. Yeah, what are you really up to? Are you guys vandalizing something? What are you doing? And I said, no, actually, we are. We're praying. We just prayed for that house. And he was so astounded. He goes, huh. And he just gets in the car and slowly drives, and he just looked at us. Now, here's what's interesting about that. I very easily could have been at a party that night with the other Ryan. But that, girl, that girl's house that I w- was invited to pray over for some random reason, because we were just walking in his neighborhood, and she lived in his neighborhood. He didn't know her that well. I didn't know her that well. I'm married to that girl today. <laughs> now, does it always work like that? I don't know. Here's the point. When you walk with the wise, by God's grace, not because you so deserve it or I deserve it, by God's grace, you become wise. Your brains start to sink, and God starts to line up things for you. Good works, we're told in the scripture, that he prepared in advance for you to step into. And you have the wherewithal to see them. Choose carefully Mercy Road. Friends, spouses, mentors, direct reports, managers, colleagues, they shape the person you will become. They, they alter the direction and the quality of your life. And I know, I know, some of you spend time with some people who dabble, nay, major in tomfoolery all day long and you can't help it because they're your boss or they, you know, they work with you. And so we, it's not as if we have complete agency and volition to spend time with people who will just be a good influence. And that's intentional as well because we are called to be salt and light on this planet. Not that we have it all together, but we can point to the one who does. And we are called to be witnesses in this world. So it's not about becoming this little a cloistered group of wise people, but it is about being intentional enough to develop into a wise person. Now, here's, here's the challenge, friends. The thing about friendships, the thing that makes them so darn enjoyable and delightful and life-giving, that is the very same thing that makes friendships so dangerous. You know, when you're friends with someone, you can be yourself. You're not thinking about what you're wearing. You're, you can let your hair down, so to speak, if you have hair. Um, you, you can be yourself. You're not pretending to be someone. You're not, you're not putting on airs. You know, think of like a job interview, every inclination at a job interview. It's kind of the opposite of a job interview. You're just you. And that's incredibly freeing. But when you let your guard down to that extent and you feel fully known and fully accepted, guess what? 
you are never more impressionable than when you are in that state. When I'm just totally relaxed because I'm among friends, I am the most open at that moment to having my mind changed, my values redirected, to being persuaded because I feel accepted and loved. And that's a longing that is in every human heart because that is the ideal state of how human beings are to relate to the God who loves us. And friends are just pictures of that, previews of that. So choose carefully. They'll shape the direction and the quality of your life. We, we really want to make this series practical. And so we have some relational guardrails because that's what we're talking about, guardrails. So guardrails are something that when you bump up against because you've set them up ahead of time, your conscience should light up and you should redirect yourself. So here are a few to think about. When you catch yourself pretending to be someone that you are not, someone else, that's a guardrail. I hit the guardrail. Wow, I, for a minute there, I was just totally feeling a need to be somebody I'm not. You need to take a step back. You just hit a guardrail. When you feel pressure to compromise what you know is right, and we all have the stories, we all have examples, you banged into a guardrail that you established ahead of time. And the good news is there might be a little bit of chip paint. Damage is minimal. Keep driving on the road God has for you. Don't compromise. When you think, you know, I'll go, I just won't participate. That is definitely a guardrail. How many of us have said, I'll go, but I won't participate? If you have a 14-year-old daughter, and she's like, I just want to go to this house party, and there's going to be a bunch of guys there, and it's just me and my girlfriend, and, you know, they're, they're probably going to be up to some bad stuff, but I'm just going to go and be a witness, but I won't participate. You know, Dad, what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, you cannot go to the party, or I can go with you as your personal chaperone. <laughs> That's a guardrail. When you hope your loved ones don't know where you are. Any of us been in a situation where, if we're honest with our own heart, we would be quite pleased if nobody really knew where we were at this moment. That should be a guardrail. It should light up your conscience. And here's the good news. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've accepted the forgiving love of Jesus into your heart as a free gift to atone for your sins, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and everybody has a conscience. That's just kind of a human standard issue thing. But the Holy Spirit will light up your conscience. It will make it uncomfortable to sin. This is why some of the most miserable people in the world are followers of Jesus who are still stubbornly holding on to a besetting sin because you've lost the ability to enjoy it like you used to enjoy it when ignorance was bliss and all you had to do is kind of push out a very quiet conscience about it. Now the Holy Spirit is lighting your conscience up and you're, you're feeling like, I don't even like this. Why am I doing it? Why are you doing it? When you hope your loved ones don't know where you are, that should be a guardrail. It's not a condemnation thing. It's a good thing. If you were driving and all of a sudden you took your eyes off the road, you looked in your smartphone and you just hit that guardrail and sparks flew, you wouldn't be like, oh, I can't believe I hit a guardrail. I'm such a moron. I just will never forgive myself. 
No, you, you would say, thank God there was a guardrail there. Because as you park your car and pull over and you look over the 9,000 foot cliff, you think, but the grace of God, thank God you put a guardrail there. Lastly, when, when you're moving, when, when the group that you're going in, your core group, when they're moving in a direction other than the one that God wants you to move in, that's a guardrail. It's not wrong to hang out with all kinds of people, but when your core group, the one that influences you, your people starts to move in a direction and you just know it's moving you away from a greater fear and awe and reverence and obedience of the Lord, intimacy with the Lord. It's moving away from the biblical principles of how to navigate life wisely. That should be a guardrail. Doesn't mean you can't ever talk to those people. What it does mean is this should draw us to prayer and say, God, I don't know exactly how to walk with the wise to become wise, but would you raise up people in my life that I could be influenced by? Whether that's a mentor, a new church, a new friend group, whoever, whatever it is, Lord, I'm open to it. Friends, I want to end by just, uh, before we go into communion, saying that nobody plans to wreck their life. Nobody plans to wreck their relationships or their health or their finances. God-honoring guardrails are how we plan not to. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for everyone who has gathered here last service and this service and online who will watch this later. I pray your grace and your encouragement over everyone here. If there's anybody who's just stuck in the mud right now because this series, this sermon, this topic brings up a lot of regrets and, and maybe even a feeling of shame, I pray that you would release them from that and they would feel the loving arms of the, their heavenly father just wrapping around them. Would you remind us, Lord, that because of the sacrifice on the cross, because of what your son has done for us. We are forgiven and we're free and we are invited to live freely and freedom and living freely requires responsibility. Help us to be responsible for the lives you've given us. Help us to establish wise and God-honoring guardrails. In Jesus' name, amen.